Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Patrice Washington. Success Magazine named her one of the 12 inspiring black voices in personal development. She is an award-winning author, transformational speaker, hope-restoring coach, and media personality. Patrice is committed to redefining the term wealth using its original meaning, well-being. We had an incredibly vulnerable and honest conversation about money and how to have a more positive outlook as Patrice empowers women to look at life through the lens of abundance and opportunity instead of lack and scarcity. Take a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Patrice. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I love women who know about money, (laughs) (laughs) who can help us figure out what the hell. Um, So let's start from the beginning. I'd love for you to sort of dive into your backstory before we get into what you do now. Well, it started in 1981. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, I really got into personal finance at 19 years old. I was introduced to real estate and became a licensed salesperson in California during my sophomore year in college and fell in love with it. And by 21 senior year, got licensed as a real estate and mortgage broker and started literally during my senior year in college and realized really quickly that most of the people I was selling houses to were twice my age and knew half as much as I did about personal finance. They didn't know very basic things. And so I really became passionate about educating people about savings, debt elimination, investing, home ownership, all of that stuff. Everything that I learned, I would apply what my first grade teacher, Ms. Boynton, taught me, which was when you know something, you have a responsibility to teach your friends. And so I started to do that. And very quickly, that uh, business became a seven-figure business by 25 years old. I built a seven-figure real estate empire, Rebecca, and you couldn't tell me that I was not the woman, okay? I would have told you back then that I was superwoman, um, especially as a young Belizean-American girl from South Central Los Angeles. So I built this real estate empire, um, and I think that it's going to go on forever until the recession hits. And in 2007, I am in the hospital at Cedars-Sinai in Beverly Hills, California on bed rest because I took a fall down the stairs at 20 weeks and went into preterm labor. And when I got to the emergency room, all they could say is, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but this baby's coming any minute now. And I did the only thing I knew to do at that time, which was pray. And I called other people and asked them to pray. And what was supposed to be any minute now turned into me being on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. And while I'm in the hospital, I'm watching the news and every day what's happening. The banks are closing down. All of the banks that I work with are literally shutting down left and right. I have 16 loan officers and real estate agents at the time, and none of their deals are closing. And every day they're calling me Rebecca freaking out because they're used to me being the fixer. Mm-hmm. And they're going, what am I going to do? My client's losing their deposit. Everything that can happen is happening. And here I am on bed rest. I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. And <laughs> I remember the day uh, my doctor, Dr. Lee, walked in and she said, we've been monitoring you and the baby with that belt that's around your waist. And I don't know what you're stressing about, but if you don't stop, you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby. 
because the year before I gave birth to a son prematurely and he passed after five hours in my arms. Oh my gosh. And so I asked them to take the TV off the wall. Like that box, (laughs) swivel TV, not a cute plasma screen, but the old school box swivel TV. I said, take it off the wall because I don't even want to be tempted to watch that anymore. That was like the first time I remember having a lesson in what it meant to surrender. Because for so long, I thought surrendering was about giving up. But I realized at that time, it was about letting go of the control I thought I had. And I told my husband at the time, tell everyone to stop calling me. He took my laptop. I I had no contact with anyone. He brought me an iPod and it had praise and worship music on it and a Bible and a uh, red leather journal. And I just committed to, I'm going to write and pray and journal my way through this and sing to my baby off tune. Who cares? But that's what I'm going to be focused on doing. I just want to get her here healthy. And so between that, (laughs) five weeks later, my daughter was born. Um, She was still born prematurely, three pounds, two ounces, but she was healthy. She stayed her time in the NICU. And between the two of us, by the time I left the hospital, Rebecca, I had racked up over $400,000 in medical debt and no deals had closed. And my husband had been blowing through our savings, keeping everything afloat. We had real estate investments. Uh, We had investment property where our tenants were not paying rent. They had been laid off and everything that could happen just happened in that time. And so Really quickly, within about a year, a little over a year to a year and a half, we went from a seven-figure business to literally scraping up change and applying for welfare, getting on food stamps. Our home foreclosed in Southern California. Um, Our uh, cars were repossessed, and we literally fled to a 600-square-foot apartment in Metairie, Louisiana. And that is where I had what I call like a come-to-Jesus moment. If you've ever had one of those those like humbling moments where you are literally snotting and crying. If you've ever had the ugly cry, Rebecca, I don't know. You're a beautiful woman. I don't know if you've ever had an ugly cry. No, but but here's what I want to say about the ugly cry. Like it's impossible. Like the women who have too much Botox, they try to do the (laughs) ugly cry and that's scary because their face doesn't (laughs) contort the way it has to when you need to get it out. (laughs) <laughs> so well, I hope you don't book, have too much Botox so you can really I don't, just ugly cry. <laughs> I, I don't have any, I don't have any yet, but, uh, and at the time I was in my twenties, but girl, I was ugly crying. I'm talking bawling, snotting, crying until it was just, I was unrecognizable, I'm sure. Um, but I was just in the mirror. I had one of those moments I had just asked, I had just actually run down this hallway with my baby on my hip begging the power man to turn the lights back on because they cut the electricity off for non-payment. And that same week we had gotten another eviction notice and I just could not take anymore. I had run out of all the cute little mantras and cliches and, you know, all, I was a very positive person overall, but I just didn't have it anymore. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just looked in the mirror and I was like, God, why me? Like I've been a good person. I treat people well. I I try to operate in integrity. So how is this happening? Why is this happening? And that led to the ugly cry. And when I just (laughs) couldn't cry anymore, I felt this nudge and I refer to it as like a still small voice, but I, I felt this urge to get my Bible. And I ended up landing on this scripture. It was Proverbs 17, 16. And it's that what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom. 
Like, wow. what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? And I always tell people, it doesn't matter if, if you know, you believe in the Bible or scriptures or not, you can take it as a great quote, but it really hit me in that moment because I knew that going to the University of Southern California and graduating with honors on the dean's list and all this stuff, I knew I was smart, right? And I knew that I had a lot of knowledge and I was a great test taker. But for the first time, I realized there was a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And many of us are used to just gathering information and getting, especially now with Google and podcasts and books and Audible and all the things, we feel that because we have access to so much information, we're automatically wise and we're not. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the information you have. And with all of the personal finance education I had amassed at that time, I didn't necessarily have wisdom because I really didn't know how to apply it (laughs) and when to apply it. I just knew how to regurgitate what was in textbooks. So that is like, that is where, again, my first grade teacher, Ms. Boynton popped in my spirit. And I was like, well, if I didn't know this, I'm sure there's other people that didn't. And the next day I started a free blog of freeblogspot.com. It is so ugly. It is up to this day. Um, It it just was my love offering. Like I'm still in the middle of this stuff. I lost all my money, but my mind isn't bad. And I've had passion for financial education, but now the compassion that I have for others who are struggling in this area is next level. And that was March 9th, 2009. And ever since then, I've been living my life with this really strong sense of purpose that I'm supposed to help people think about money differently. And so that's what I do today. So I'm just in awe of the fact, you know, I'd like to know what were some of the first steps you took, you know, you're getting evicted, you're on welfare, you have a new baby. How did you even begin to sort through, how do you even make money at that point? Yeah, at that time I was doing any odd job I could do. You know, I remember trying to apply for jobs left and right. And the truth is I had never had like a quote unquote real job because I started my own business in college. So mm-hmm. I only had been an entrepreneur and in real estate of all things. And at that time that was not sexy. Like that was not the thing to do. So I started it. I started doing odd jobs. First I started bartering with people. So I knew a little bit about bookkeeping and I knew about like basic things um, around marketing and business and all the things I had used to build my business. So I was in this town, Metairie, Louisiana, and I would just meet and chat with people at Starbucks. And if they had something of value, like to me, I would barter. Um So even, and call it vain, call it whatever you want. But girl, I was bartering to get my hair done. I'm like, I might be broke, but I don't have to look like this. (laughs) (laughs) I remember in Louisiana, and then even when I moved to Georgia the next year, um, because my brother lived here in Atlanta, I was bartering with like the owner of a nail salon who didn't really know much about marketing. Um, So I was helping her figure out online marketing at the time. I bartered with another woman who owned a hair salon. Um, And so she would do my eyebrows and my hair and I like help organize her back office um, to keep her compliant and honest. Um, And I just was like doing odd stuff like that. And then there was, I used to work for Steve Harvey early in college. So um, he originally just had a radio show based in Los Angeles. And I was supposed to be an intern for 30 or 60 days. I stayed for like two years. 
And so when I ended up in Atlanta, um, his manager at the time needed someone to just kind of support with office stuff. And I was going there and making $500 every two weeks. Um, so, and I was working my butt off, so I'm not really sure. I'm not saying that Steve took advantage of me. I'm just saying, um, so (laughs) I was literally doing whatever odd jobs I could do at the time, um, because I had applied for probably 30 plus 40 jobs and never got a call back for more than one or two. And they usually told me I just, I was overqualified. And what do you think gave you that steel resolve? You know, I think that you could have easily said, I give up. Mm -hmm. This is too hard. Let me just go get a random job that I don't care about. At least I'll make money. What gave you that solid core that just said, okay, I know, you know, whatever gave you faith? So a couple things. First of all, I do credit my faith a lot with my resilience. There's just been something in me for so long. And I've I've had so many different uh, hiccups, I'll say, throughout life. And each time I've chosen to say, even when it was really hard, I had to fight to say, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a lesson or a blessing in this. And I fight really hard, even in the really difficult seasons. Right now I'm in a season, I'm I'm in the middle of a divorce right now. And, you know, didn't didn't necessarily see that as like that wasn't the goal, right? When I got married and we've weathered so many different things. And even in this, I sit with this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. What is the lesson? What is the blessing? Mm -hmm. And I fight to list those things out every day. It is so easy to dwell on all of the things. And we can, and we have a right to. We have a right to be in our feelings. Um, For me, I've always just felt like that was not the most supportive route. I'm not saying that I don't sit and, and have a moment. But for me, I have learned that I will give things a moment. I won't give it my life. Yeah. Uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I felt like, uh, you know, I think it was probably August of 2020, we had temporarily relocated. We were living with my parents. I was sleeping in a bunk bed. Um, it just seemed like, you know, I'm Jewish, but I, you know, I see over, over the Christmas holidays, like there are these advent calendars and behind each one is like a chocolate or something delicious. And I was like, dad, My life is an advent calendar, but behind each door is like a rotted something that is showing up. And my dad at the time when I was at one of my lowest of the lows was like, it's not what life is doing to you. It's what it's doing for you. And I wanted to punch him in the face, but as (laughs) like, like what you said, as, as I began to reframe it, um, each time something terrible would once again happen, I was like, what is this doing for me? How is this changing me? And I think it helps. It, it, it at least sets you an emotion of positivity versus wallowing in it, which we, like you said, we get a minute to wallow in it, but then we have to turn it into action. Yeah. Yeah. I think also having my daughter at that time was really motivating, right? Because I had been so successful um, as a young as a young woman, all the way up until her birth, and then I felt such guilt and shame and embarrassment around the fact that, like, I called this little girl into the universe at the worst possible time. You know, I'm like, 
what you know there'd be days where she was crying and she's looking at me and then i'm looking at her crying and then she stops crying like wait who's who's supposed to be crying here i'm the baby right and <laughs> i just remember this this sense of like you you have to pull it together and stay focused because she's depending on you and she's looking at you and whatever you model for her this could be a sign of how she moves through life and how she navigates you know not the best times in her life and so through all the things that I have experienced personally and professionally, I feel like my daughter is growing up with me. She'll be 15 this year. And I'm like, for Reagan, I, I have to figure this out. And I want to do it with as much grace and ease and dignity as possible, even when it's ugly. For sure. I think that having the kids as hard as it can be sometimes is the reason you got to pull yourself out of your own shit. Mm-hmm. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know, having grown up with, well, personally speaking, like growing up with nothing, having to make every dollar count, you know, working for 17 years, putting all the money back into the business, you would think that when you, when you reach a certain level of success that you'll feel, at least I thought this, like, oh, liberated, or every time I spend I, I don't, money, I don't cringe, right? Mm-hmm. Um you having gone from making millions to being on welfare food stamps and then having success again, have you let yourself, do you let yourself spend money or make investments or treat yourself right without the cringe? Like, oh, what if it goes away tomorrow? Or is that just something you're learning to live with? Um, I make more financial decisions today without as much cringe. Okay. <laughs> I would call it a twinge. Not a, <laughs> I, it's, not a, it's not a full cringe, but I will say that it's a part of what led me to studying financial psychology. Like I'm literally getting ready to walk the stage here. Um, I just got an MBA in behavioral finance. And 
people think it was for my career. It was really more so for me <laughs> because to your point, I just wanted to understand why that still was. Like, why do I still sometimes slip into a scarcity mindset when everything around me says differently? And it's just one of those things, Rebecca, that we just have to be aware of. And I do find myself still talking myself through <laughs> certain decisions um, or certain purchases and, and going, are you being rational or irrational here? You know, it, are you just spending money? Are you actually wasting money or is this an investment? Even mm-hmm. if it's just, you know, paying for your peace, which is something I've learned to accept. It's OK to pay for my peace. It's okay that I do, you know, have a housekeeper now um, because like we said earlier, there's no prize for me being burnt out because I did the laundry, like as well as all these other things. And so I had to give myself permission to accept that I don't need to live in an old story anymore. Doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that the old story doesn't still come up, but when it does, I'm now aware that it's not based on my current position. It's based on an old story. And then I get to choose differently. And nine times out of 10, I choose to live in the present, which says you're okay. And you're not, you're not a waste. (laughs) You're not wasteful. It's not even in your nature to be wasteful. You're making decisions based on who you are today. And to try to keep making decisions based on where you were in 2009, it doesn't even make sense. Amazing. So let's focus on your transition. Um, After you had all the odd jobs and the bartering, who was the first client you got uh, for what you do now and how did you get them? Well, I'll tell you about a client that really, or a person I would say who really (laughs) shifted things for me. So I started to take this more seriously. So I knew that I was being called to help people in personal finance, even though I was like digging myself out of a hole, right? And I started to think about how I could immerse myself in in that even when jobs were rejecting me and people weren't calling me back. And so I got this bright idea to Google financial education nonprofits in Atlanta. And several came up and I sent emails to, I don't know, maybe six or seven, three replied, and I started to volunteer at two of them. And That was really, really helpful because it started to shift my mindset about what was possible as an educator in personal finance. I had never really seen it done. I didn't know it was a thing. When I was educating people originally, it was for the sake of bringing folks into my real estate business. It wasn't just to educate, right? And so I started to do that. I was volunteering and one uh, of the companies in particular, one of the nonprofits, I was such a star volunteer. <laughs> the president of the the nonprofit actually called me out of the blue one day. I was driving towards the Steve Harvey office, actually. And he goes, um, hey, like everyone here loves you. Um, I, I don't know if you know, we're building this center and we're going to need a financial management consultant. And unanimously, everyone is like, you would be the right person. And he starts to, you know, break down. Uh, the job description. And I go, oh my gosh, that is totally for me. And he says, I say, okay, well, I would love to do that. What do I need to do? When can I start? And he's like, oh no, that won't be open for about nine months. (laughs) I'm like, what? I'm on food stamps today. You know, (laughs) like nine months. Um, And 
I was headed to this to the Steve Harvey office and ironically they were getting they were about to offer me a position, an actual position, not the little stuff I had been doing. Um, and I sat down with Steve and his manager and they start describing this kind of office manager position and you know, they were going to pay me, I don't know, $40,000 a year, which sounded like a million dollars at the time. And I'm listening to it, but I'm not excited like I was on the phone driving talking to the other guy about the personal finance position. And (laughs) out of nowhere, they're talking and it just comes out of my mouth, Rebecca. I'm like, I can't do it. (laughs) And and Steve is like, you're broke, ain't you? Didn't you say you were broke? And I'm like, in true Steve Harvey fashion, if you can imagine this. And I'm like, uh, I, that I am, uh, I would just like to say, uh, this is a temporary situation. I was still on my positivity, right? I was like, um, I'm not broken in spirit. Um, and I told them no, that I, I couldn't take it. And what I did next was, you know, Steve was like, you're crazy. Um, and so what I did next was actually end up volunteering more, but then going to, um, Barnes and Nobles every week and starting to write my first book, what will become my first book. And that was in, that was complete insanity, but what was the, what was one of the big turnarounds I would say is a couple years later, I did get that job. I ended up working that for a little bit for about a year, but a couple years later, the Steve Harvey production company is the one who called me. They saw me doing things on social media and I had done the work to self-publish my first book. And I was really getting known as a speaker in Atlanta, even though it was through the nonprofit I was working with at the time. And they said, Steve wants to help you launch your your second book. If you're going to write another book, you need to launch it on the show. So the show that I was an intern on in college became a nationally syndicated show. And my first break was them inviting me back to share my second self-published book. And it was wow. supposed to be a one-time interview. And the audience was so receptive, literally people emailing in and calling up and trying to ask me questions that they said, hey, you want to come back in a couple of weeks? And I go, oh, I mean, sure. And I came back again. And then a couple of weeks later, they invited me back. And next thing you know, I had a weekly segment for four years on the nationally syndicated Steve Harvey Morning Show. Wow. Still never got a job. No one and still no one had ever hired me officially. <laughs> well, I hope they paid you to be on the show. Uh, they did not, honestly, but it did I did leverage it in many ways to speak all over the country. And then that's how I started to really get coaching clients. And I mean, I leveraged it very, very well. So I feel very fortunate. And honestly, like I said, I was supposed to be a 30-day intern back in right. the day. And the power of relationships, um, you know, just the power of relationships. It was nothing I ever asked for. And that's what I always tell people too. I literally to this day have never asked Steve for a favor. Right. Um, but I do say to my community all, all the time, there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you, but who are they watching you be and what are they watching you do? Mm, I love that. So having had success a second time, how have you handled it differently and what have you done to ensure that if there, God forbid, was another, you know, mm-hmm. recession, catastrophe, you know, how mm-hmm. have you sort of changed how you operate in order to sort of not 
hit rock bottom again. I'll tell you the biggest one, (laughs) the big takeaway for me with that difference between knowledge and wisdom was understanding that uh, you can glean a lot of wisdom from other people, right? If you are okay with not suffering in silence. The first time around, I believe the reason that we experienced such catastrophe and granted it was the recession and, you know, a lot of people got burned in, in that whole process. But I think that it was particularly bad because we never shared what was happening. We never told anyone. Even when we went to Louisiana, most people in our lives thought we just politely moved. They didn't realize that we were fleeing. You know, like it it was that it was really bad and no one knew. And this time around, I am so much more open to asking for help. I believe that more people want to support us than we think, but they need to know how. And I don't know how it is for you. Maybe, you know, uh, how you grew up, but I know for many I know I can say for many black people, (laughs) for many, for many black people, they will identify with this idea that you grow up where your parents, your grandparents are like, you better not tell people your business. Mm -hmm. You better, you, you better, you better not tell anyone what's going on. And so you grow up with this fear of sharing your truth, of being vulnerable, of saying, I don't know what I don't know, of asking for support. And what I would never do again is suffer in silence. I will never again suffer in silence. And for me, with the things that I've gone through, even just the last several years, I think the saving grace has been that I haven't had to do it alone. Who have you done it with? Do you have like a crew that you share this with that that you are vulnerable yeah. with? You know, I think each scenario allows me to discern who I need in that season. Um, so... I'm not sharing just for the sake of venting. I'm usually sharing with, yes, being heard, but also wanting to share with usually a woman who I feel like can give me advice and and really give me wisdom. So for example, the season that I'm in now, I have been sharing um, with women who are divorced because they'll understand the ups and downs that on one day I'll be on a super high and then another day I'm like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> right. So, and they can validate that roller coaster ride for me versus, you know, someone who's like, oh, I've been married 50 years and you just got to like push through. And it's like, girl, I'm past pushing through. That's not <laughs> what I need right now. <laughs> That's not what I need in this season. Thank you. So, everything, you know, even as a mother, right? I don't necessarily talk about what I may be experiencing in motherhood with my girlfriend who has a three-year-old. I've got a 14-year-old freshman in high school and we are talking about boys every damn day. Like, and I have to keep up with TikTok trends and, you know, what's going on on social media and all this stuff. So when it comes to those types of things, I typically talk to people who are in that, you know, they're in that space. I think everything, every area of my life, I have just committed to having like a couple people that I know that I can go to and be honest and transparent because I also don't want to jade anyone else's experience. Like I don't want to like jade my girlfriend who has a three-year-old. I don't want to make her feel like, oh my God, teenage life sucks, you know? (laughs) So I don't want to pour out those types of things. I don't mind sharing if she were to ask, but you know what I'm saying? I, I, I try to 
align myself with people who are in similar seasons Mm -hmm. um, and maybe a bit ahead of me in particular so that they can assure me that I'm not nuts. And then in addition to that, now I also have a therapist. Um, I'm always in therapy. Usually it's just for maintenance, but then when life hits the fan, you know, you, you, you accelerate the therapy a little bit and a life coach who's been very supportive as well. I love that you've surrounded yourself with, you know, the right people. Um, I can't say enough about talking to the right people about the right thing rather than just, you know, overwhelming your best friend who has no idea what you do (laughs) or how to give you advice if they're not in your business. Um, So I think it's, it's so incredibly important to surround yourself with the right people to talk to in the right season. Yeah. And I love that you even talked about your best friend, right? As an entrepreneur, my girlfriends who are corporate America gals or work for the government or nonprofits, like they can't understand the ups and downs of leading a business, like in the same way that I do. Right. So I have a group of gals that I discuss those things with. And then even as entrepreneurs, I have a whole nother um, you know, a kind of accountability group of women where we're all particularly online entrepreneurs. And then I have my podcaster crew and then I have my brand influencer crew. Mm-hmm. So I have really learned to accept support and be someone that can be leaned on for support as well. Right. I don't just take um, I believe it's give and receive. But yeah, I, I call it like 360 degrees of accountability. I think about every area of my life. And when I set my goals at the beginning of the year, I I break them up into three. I do safe goals. um, I do support goals and I do stretch goals. And so the safe goals are usually things that really, girl, just write it down and get it done and stop this. You're going in Mm -hmm. circles, right? Mm -hmm. And then my support goals, I think about every pillar, you know, at Redefining Wealth, which is my podcast, it's broken into the six pillars. And when I look at what I want to accomplish in each one of the pillars, I always look for who can support me. There's nothing that I try to do by myself anymore. That like wearing the cape, I'm so done with that. Yeah. I'm so done with like, oh, strong black woman. Nope. Nope. Don't want to be. I'm not. (laughs) I need support. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to do everything by myself. So for this year, it was even like, okay, yeah, I'm consistent with working out, but I want to kick things up to the next level. So I hired a nutritionist and I hired a new trainer, right? Like where, what do I need support in? I'm going to go find support, trying to do everything by myself for what? Like what's, what's the reward at the end of the well, day? There, it, believe me, there's no one saying, here's your crown and you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's what we live like that sometimes. Like, you know, when I first became a wife and a mother and, you know, cooking is not my ministry, girl. Like it's, <laughs> it's just not my ministry, never been my thing. But I had this idea that I needed to cook and do all the laundry and figure out, you know, this whole job thing. And I was bartering and I was just just trying to do the most, trying to wear all of these hats and almost killed myself Yeah, for what? Right. There's my child is never going to look back and go, you know, the way my mom fluffed that laundry. Whew, she did that with love. <laughs> never. That's not what she's going to remember. Nope, for sure. So what would what would some of the advice that you give on your podcast or some of your clients be to women who are, you know, early starting out on their careers, maybe, you know, just experiencing uh, 
what it feels like to have some financial freedom that you think is helpful? I think in line with what we're talking about now is get support early. Mm -hmm. Um, I think oftentimes we think that financial advisors or planners or estate planning is for, you know, married folks or families or you have to have children or you have to be making at least six figures. And all of that is a lie. Like if you are earning income of any kind, you should be thinking about your financial plan as a whole. And you don't have to do that on your own. You know, I always tell people, you don't have to marry the first financial planner that you meet. You Mm -hmm. can date around. You can go on. You can do free consultations because you're looking for someone whose energy and vibe matches yours. You're looking for someone who you would trust because it takes a lot of vulnerability to open up about your finances with someone. And you want to align yourself with someone that you don't feel is judgmental. A lot of women don't talk to financial planners or anyone in the financial services space because they they feel like they're going to be judged. And, you know, we do this. Well, I should know better. I'm an adult. I'm over 21. So somehow miraculously, even though financial literacy is not mandatory in most school districts, I should just know these things through osmosis. And we don't. And it's okay. And you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to know it all. But the more time you take to start to have these conversations, the more, you know, money is wasted, quite frankly, because it's money that could have been invested to support you. And so, you know, not feeling like you have to have it all figured out, like you have to be perfect um, before you start having these conversations and knowing that you can date around. You can try a few folks. You can get recommendations from girlfriends. Oh, and another big one. I think that more women need to have money dates with each other. I think that we need to openly discuss money and not making it so taboo with our girlfriends. And back to when I was saying like having people you can talk to um, who connect with you on different levels. So let's say that you are in corporate America and you know, you have some friends who have similar job titles, maybe not at your specific company, but you guys came out of college together or you met at a professional event or something. You guys should talk about salaries because when we don't talk about salaries, what we do is contribute to this wage gap between men and women. Because when we don't know that we should ask for more, we don't ask for more. Mm-hmm. But when we recognize like, oh, wait a minute, Sally is making another $9,000 a year or this person's getting this in benefits. And here I am busting my ass doing all this work. And, you know, oh, and I heard this guy is with the same job title and less experience is making $10,000 more than me. If we don't open up and have these conversations, we hold ourselves back collectively. So I talk openly with girlfriends who are in, you know, again, brand influencers or maybe speakers or all these different things that I do, I call girlfriends up like, hey, did you get pitched for this? If they say, yeah, they offered me this. Have you worked with them before? Oh, girl, no, don't take that. They gave me $50,000 more to do half the work. Oh, okay, great. Let me go back and negotiate that. That's the only way that we all rise. We have to stop being afraid to just discuss the numbers because 
I think the power, like the powers that be, I'm saying that with like air quotes, but I think that folks bank on us not talking about it. And the more we get comfortable talking about it with each other, the more we can collectively take a stand and all come up together. A hundred percent. I was just with a friend who was so open about what she had in savings, what she was investing in, how much she took off the table uh, when her company sold. And she gave me great resources. And I was like, mm-hmm. fucking finally, we're, we're sharing the deal flow and the how it works. Because again, like you said, we're taught. I don't know that we're ever taught that it's taboo. I keep trying to pinpoint, like no one ever said, don't talk about money. But <laughs> um, definitely, it's just not taught, right? It's not. I mean, for us, I think that many of many women probably just grew up feeling like it was impolite. Mm-hmm. Um I think that men are taught to just like talk numbers and we are taught to be gracious and polite and mannerable and all these things that I think for some reason there's a disconnect between that and and money but it is so necessary. It's so necessary. It's very sobering too once you have conversations with people and realize <laughs> And realize how easy it is for the wool to be pulled over your eyes. You'll be super excited about something and then realize, oh my gosh, they offered me 30% less than the guy, than the guy up for the same thing. Like, what is that about? And we have to call it out. And for me, these last few years, I have been calling people out left and right, girl. Left and right. I got I got asked to speak at a women's empowerment conference hosted by women with a mostly line a mostly female lineup of female speakers and the guy who had the lead name they felt like the big name they gave him the entire speaking budget and then asked what? all the women to speak for free. What? Girl when I found that out, we sent my speaking fees and all that stuff. And then they came back like, oh, so excited to have you, blah, blah, blah. As you can imagine, we had to pay Mr. So-and-so this dollar amount. So all the women, I oh could. Oh, my God. I had, wait, Rebecca, I had to take a walk around the block, girl. I was like, do not just send an email. You need to take a quick walk. I walked my dog. I came back. I took a few deep breaths. And then I sent them a video because I was like, I don't even want this in writing. <laughs> I, I sent them a video and I said, we've got to do better. I need I need you to I'm going to I'm going to read out loud what you wrote to me. And I want you to tell me how as a woman who is creating a woman's empowerment event, utilizing all women and of course wanting us to promote to the women in our communities how you could fix your fingers to type something like that to me no I will not so and so is going to do it for free I don't care good for her I will not I will not support this and you should be ashamed wow you should be ashamed yeah they should be ashamed Mm -hmm. how crazy what a world we're in right So I, you've given a lot of incredible advice. I don't know if you have any that you want to pass on and anything else that you want to pass on that has been helpful to you, given to you by another, but I like to end my podcast with a, a you know, a strong, yeah. you know, something to lift up another woman. Mm. This is what's in my spirit. Um, 
I just feel like I need to say that our finances, our businesses, our careers are only going to grow to the extent we're willing to heal. And if there's something in our backstory, our childhood, anything going on in our personal lives that we don't clean up and we don't remove the clutter around and we don't just deal with, no matter how many degrees we get, no matter how many podcasts we listen to, we're still going to struggle to make strides. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know if you are the person who is the information gatherer and you just love gathering all the information, let the wisdom from today be that people want to support you and there is help out there for you. And no matter what you're going through in this season, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Patrice. Where can people find you, hire you, get get all the all the good advice? Your podcast, the, plug yeah. it. Yeah. So um, definitely check out the Redefining Wealth podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a beautiful community of purpose chasers. Um, and you can find me at patricewashington.com. Or if you're really into Instagram, that's my favorite place to play. Come find me, Seek Wisdom PCW. Awesome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.